and welcome to our Christmas special of God in Film, Woo! the podcast where a Christian and atheist, <laughs> the podcast where a Christian and atheist <laughs> dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we find any parallels with the gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm writer and talking frog Giles Goff, and I'm source maker and. Pig in a dress, Phil Coleman, which I think is a little unfair, but hey, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's Christmas after all. I would have done this as Gonzo and Rizzo, but how do you describe what Gonzo is, you know? Gonzo is is what he is and there's nothing else. Without referring it it into the vulgar, (laughs) I think I'd probably probably have to leave it just at whatever (laughs) you decide. (laughs) Exactly. And for our 2021 Christmas special, we'll be looking at A Muppet's Christmas Carol, the definitive version of Charles Dickens' Christmas classic. <laughs> okay. We'll be looking at the representation of the ghost of Christmas present, uh, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, and the slight eensy-wincy, just a little bit secularization of Christmas. So, <laughs> Phil, where does Muppet's Christmas Carol rank for you in the pantheon of Christmas films? Oh, my goodness. Um, I always really enjoyed watching it when I was a kid. It used to come up on telly. And um, I'd be like, oh, it's the Muppets. This is obviously going to be a fun, happy time. (laughs) You know, like, obviously it's a... So it's, it's, it's got its darkness to it, which wasn't lost on me as a child. Yeah. And now I only have maybe three mental disorders, so it's fine. But uh, no, it's, I, <laughs> I really enjoy it. <laughs> no, it's, I, I really enjoy this yeah, movie. I um, I've got a lot of Christmas films that I quite like. But um, I think in terms of like a, like a traditional Christmas film, I think this takes that Charles Dickens classic and, and it, you know, it's, it's quite faithful to it in a lot of ways, except for the Muppets. <clears throat> I think if he'd known of the Muppets, I think he would have included himself. This film is... <laughs> <laughs> metatextual AF, and you know how I love me some metatextual postmodern man, man films. Loves, man you know? loves some metatext. It ref- like it's a kids' film, and it uses the phrase "Well, I'm omniscient," so I, as I'm the writer, you know, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, um, it's in- interesting to know Michael Michael Slater, who's a Dickens biographer, described the book as being written at a white heat. Basically, um, the uh, the 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 sales for I think Martin Chuzzlewit were down, and Dickens was like, "I've got to get something out there ASAP," you know. So <laughs> believe it or not, it was completed in six weeks. Wow! The final pages being written in early December. Yeah, he built much of the work in his head whilst taking nighttime walks of fifteen to twenty miles around London. That is insane. I mean, first of all. That- Awesome workout. Secondly, really gives you your, your brain some space to work, you know? You know? Do, do you know something? That sounds so beautifully cathartic, especially as a creative, just to go around yeah. and you're just literally in your own head, you're just walking around, experiencing somewhere like London as well, which for all its flaws is still yeah. a pretty wonderful place to be. That sounds incredible. I'd love to just like that. Me and Phil have a thing of like... Picasso or Cezanne, you know, the uh, <laughs> the artist who sort of comes up with something in one sort of fast, sort of like bright burn, or uh, the artist who sort of like takes time to refine it over the years until it's just as good. Dickens is clearly a Picasso. He just like smacks it right in there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Dickens just kind of went, bang, got it, lads, don't worry. And you're just like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing, Dickens. <laughs> Rounds on you, yeah? <laughs> you know, this is incredible. <laughs> Exactly. Now, before we get into this episode, it's interesting to note that this film and the last Christmas film we looked at, It's a Wonderful Life, both feature people in financial difficulty. 
which is not surprising considering that Christmas often forces people to spend more than they like on Christmas presents and nights out and all the rest of it. So if there's anybody struggling with any kind of financial debt, we've got a message from Debbie Walters from Cap, or our Debbie, as she'll be Debbie? Oh, bloody hell. Ah, Debbie, oh. you got a bit of money problems. Have a chat with our Debbie. She sort you right out. Debs, you know, Debs, she Any... knows her way around spreadsheets. She do. I tell thee, she'll get you sorted <laughs> right out. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's Debbie Walters. Hi everyone, I'm Debbie from Cap Debt Counselling Service in Sale and I just wanted to give you some helpful info as we approach the end of the year. A Christmas Carol focuses on the unscrupulous moneylender charging crippling interest on his clients and sadly nearly 180 years later not enough has changed. Many people who are in financial difficulties turn to payday lenders who charge exorbitant interest on their loans making it difficult for them to pay back. But there are ethical alternatives that are keen to help people without keeping them trapped in financial captivity. Local credit unions can give loans to members with sustainable repayments. Also, if you visit moneysavingexpert.com, it's a great place to get quick, easy advice and valuable information. But if those still seem like too much, then why not contact CAP? We'll meet you where you are, help you to get your immediate needs met, as well as giving you a manageable pathway out of debt. And you can just talk to us like human beings. And the best thing is, it's all free. We even have tea and biscuits to make you feel at ease. We have over 300 debt centers throughout the UK. And the best way to get in contact is to visit capuk.org or call 0800 328 0006. There's always hope and we can't wait to help you. That was Debbie Walters, our Debbie, telling you all about the <laughs> options you can find. Like I say, one of the great things about Cap is they will just come and have a chat with you first of all, and they'll just bring they'll bring their own biscuits, you know. And uh, and they the best thing about them is they kind of they stand in the gap between you and your your creditors, you know. So they'll say, mm. okay, look, you deal with us, we'll deal with these guys, and it really takes the pressure off a lot of people. And I've known people who've who've really sort of turned their lives around from this stuff, you know. I doff my cap to them. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now, let's kick off with <gasps> our Phil's facts. Oh, it's good to the be back. The last facts for the year. It's, yes, it is. It's very good to be back. So, this is The Muppets Christmas Carol, and it's a 1992 Christmas musical comedy directed by Brian Henson in his feature directorial debut. Adapted from the 1843 novella A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, it stars Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge alongside basically every Muppet in every other kind of, like, <laughs> role there. So, um, so let's, kick, let's kick off the first fact. In an interview with Kermit the Frog, he stated that the most important piece of acting advice ever given to him was by Sir Michael Caine on the set of this movie, and his advice was this, never blink. <laughs> and, I, I, I mean, to give Kermit some credit, <laughs> he don't blink. So he took that to heart. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Nice one, Kermit lad. He did great. So second, <laughs> second fact: the ghost of Christmas past effect 
effects were created by making a special puppet that was operated in a tank of water and then green screened into mm. the movie to make it look like it was floating, which I think is quite interesting yeah, because especially they're usually like they look like they're made out of like felt and wood. I wonder how that held up under the water. Yeah. I'm not sure how they managed to. So they must have just made a special puppet <laughs> and been like, right, that one's gone. Maybe it was like the shark from Jaws. You know, it was neoprene, so she sank on the first go. You know, so they had to mix some others. <laughs> yeah, just got waterlogged and just went. Meh. <laughs> Maybe it was. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, <laughs> next uh, next fact here. So if you look very closely mm-hmm. in one of the crowd sequences, one of the background Muppets is a lobster hanging out of a basement window. Uh, this is a reference to the sure. line, like bad lobster in a dark cellar, which is apparently one of Charles Dix's weirder turns of phrase. Oh, Charlie, 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 Charlie. It, it makes <clears> me think it's daft enough that it's probably true do you know yeah so especially if they put a muppet there so well that dude wrote obviously his work was was serialized so most of it with the exception of christmas carol most of his stuff came out like a chapter at a time you know yeah so the dude is literally kind of being paid practically by the word in some cases where you've got a story that maybe is like eight chapters long and you've got to stretch it out to 12 so i think he must have been like it was as bad as a lobster stuck in a dark basement. Yeah, okay, print it. Quick, quick, yeah, go, yeah, go. Right. Don't, what's all this about lobster? Don't ask questions, just print it and pay me. <laughs> I mean, imagine sometimes you'd probably be like that, wouldn't you? Next fact. Um, there's a series trademark uh, that pops up in this film for uh, the Muppets. Uh, at the conclusion mm-hmm. of the song One More Sleep, Bob, played by Kermit the Frog, played by probably Frank Oz, um, is seen standing No, it's not. It's not Frank Oz. Frank Oz does uh, Miss Piggy. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so it was Steve Whitmire who was performing Kermit the Frog this time. He also voices Rizzo the Rat as well, apparently. Riz- so. Rizzo is one of my favourite Muppets. Rizzo and Gonzo, Rizzo is... just, as a, just as a double act. I just love them. Yeah. He's <laughs> uh, seen standing alone in the street, and a shooting star... Uh, can be seen streaking across the sky. And in many, but not all, of the Muppet movies, a shooting star goes across the screen at some point when Kermit is on. Ah. Something to look out for in the next Muppet film you watch. <laughs> we'll keep, uh, keep my eyes out for that one. And finally, this is the first Muppet movie where Kermit the Frog is, is not the lead role. Oh, yeah. It's a Michael Caine. That's he's in the yeah. lead role. I met Michael Caine once. Um, yeah, very good. briefly. Yeah, no, no, I... yeah, just yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> anything particularly impressive. I didn't get to go around to his house or anything, but it was at a book signing. He uh, he signed uh, the the book, and I shook his hand. You know, and it was one of those things. I was very underemployed at the time, and I've just spent like fifteen quid on a on a book. And you're like, okay, right, that's interesting. So mm. I actually gave the book as a present to my grandma because if it was a Christmas present, I could justify spending that much money on it. You know. <laughs> I did the same thing with Simon Pegg's autobiography. You know, I got it and I gave it some, as a friend, as a present to Natalie. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. that's my facts. That's my fact. Lovely. Thanks for those, Phil. Now, rather than sort of trying to track down a, a Dickens expert or something, I wanted to find our queen of the geeks, our sort of Khaleesi of nerds, <laughs> Julia Hall. And I said, how do you feel about Muppets Christmas Carol? She's like, oh my God, I love Muppets Christmas Carol! In that exact voice. That's exactly that, how she said it. Was that a recording of Julia just then? Wow. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. So, anyway, let's have a listen to Julia. Uh, hello, my name's Julia. I'm a secondary school librarian and uh, I've watched The Muppets Christmas Carol 
every Christmas of my life ever that I can remember. (laughs) (laughs) Julia, it is so good to have you back on the show. You were such good value for money last time. I thought, let's get Julia back on. I don't care what the reason is why. So... It just so happened you were a big fan of Muppets Christmas Carol. I truly am. I was very honoured to be invited back, so thank you very much. Yeah, no, you are very welcome. So our first question I had was, what state was the Jim Henson company in when they decided to do the film? Uh, so, f- sort of physically and financially, they were they were mostly all right. They were in uh, negotiations with a merger with Disney, um, mm-hmm. but sadly, um, Jim Henson did die in 1990 of toxic shock syndrome quite suddenly. Um, and after that, the Disney deal just sort of went down the drain. So oh, wow. Muppets was the very, Christmas Carol was the very first film that they actually did after Jim Henson's death. So it was more of almost an emotional sort of place that this film was coming from. Yeah. Uh, Brian Henson says when the, uh, the day actually that, that Henson died, they sort of got the board together and went, are we you know, are we going to continue with this? And he said, it feels like our life's work and we'd like to try and go ahead. Mm-hmm. And so they did. And uh, Brian Henson's agent, uh, Bill Haber, uh, convinced him to do Christmas Carol. And initially it was going to be a television uh, deal. And then Disney got a hold of the script and went, we really like this, we'd love to buy this. And then obviously we had Muppets Christmas Carol as we know it. So it was very much a is this right to do a film without Jim? Um, Stephen mm-hmm. Whitmire, who voiced Kermit and Rizzo, uh, obviously initially uh, Jim Henson was the original Kermit, and so Stephen was extremely anxious um, about playing Kermit and taking on yeah. such an iconic role. Um, but he, he said that he got Henson's blessing in a dream, basically. He, he dreamt that sort of Jim came to him and said, it will pass. And he woke up the next morning and felt much better. Um, and sort of the rest is history for Stephen Whitmire, really. So a lot of the people at the Henson Company were sort of very uh, committed to carrying on in Henson's memory and carrying on mm. his good work. So. Yeah, it's, um, it's ironic that probably one of the most famous Jim Henson Muppet films is the one that he wasn't around for, you know? Yes. Yeah. Now, there's a particular thing. It's always a, a, a contentious issue whenever it comes up. Is the missing song? Yes. Uh, the... Some people remember it. Some people have no memory of it whatsoever. <laughs> well, my friend John found it on YouTube and like actually stuck it back into his own personal version <gasps> That's of incredible. the Muppets. Yeah. That's such so... a good idea. <laughs> so, the... what's what's the deal with it? So the song itself was um, it's called When Love Is Gone and it's an incredible, gorgeous song, but basically in the flashback to the past where um, Scrooge and, and Belle are breaking up, she sings this song to him as a sort of way of kind of encapsulating um, all of the reasons why basically that he's fallen out of love with her. And um, it was, I believe, in the theatrical release and it was in the VHS release but Disney basically hated it. Um, they they reckoned that it was too Muppet-free and too boring for children and it would slow down the pace of the film. So after the VHS tape, the subsequent DVD versions didn't have it. So mm. luckily for me, uh, although I am not a millennial, my brother most definitely is. So, of course, I had all my brother's <laughs> VHS tapes and we had a VHS tape player in the house. So we were very lucky that we had a VHS version and then, of course, when that 
wore out and we got the DVD version, we were all of us incensed. Um, <laughs> our favourite song was missing. Um, and not only that, Disney then lost the film um, of that particular scene, um, but it was found again in uh, December of last year. So they promised that it's going to go into the Blu-rays, I think, that are coming up, although there's not been any concrete release date. Mm. Um, and they did promise to put it in the Disney Plus version. However, due to time constraints, or I think that's mostly the fact that Corona was pretty rife at that point, um, it isn't. But it is in the extras and deleted scenes. So what I now do is I watch it on Disney Plus, I pause it, I watch the extra scene, and then I continue. <laughs> because it's it's it loses so much without it especially because it's not only reprised but contrasted at the very end of the film yeah. when they sing when love is found when Scrooge is at the Cratchits and all the Muppets are around and Fred is there and all the ghosts are there and everyone's just together in that Christmas spirit it really kind of bookends Scrooge's movement through Miser who hates Christmas to loving stepfather almost and general all around good guy, so to cut it was absolutely criminal. <laughs> Definitely. See, I, I have no rem- no memory of the uh, the original song, um, and yet when you when you heard people talk about it, it started to come in something that would get mentioned in whispered conversations, mm. and then people seem to get almost evangelical about it about why it's the yeah. best song in the entire thing and how the dare could you cut in, so, you know. So, uh, last important question, and you can tell I'm definitely wasn't running out of ideas for questions at this point. (laughs) Is this the best adaptation of Christmas Carol, and why should everyone else just give up trying now? Uh, The short answer is yes. Uh, However, (laughs) I I will elaborate. Um, In my humble opinion, this is is the best one for for a few reasons. The first of all um, being how straight Michael Caine um, plays with the Muppets. There's such Mm. a sincerity to the film and it completely stays faithful to the book there are a few elements that they that they don't quite put in i think they like to ease upon the spooks the original book is obviously a ghost story and a lot of the, yeah the, a lot of the other adaptations um such as the robert zemeckis version and the 1999 version with patrick stewart as scrooge um both yeah. really play up for the spooks but the muppets kind of tone that down but there's still such a sincerity to it and the fact that Michael Caine plays it so straight he, he famously said uh, I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company I will never wink I will never do anything Muppety I'm going to play Scrooge as if it is an utterly dramatic role and there are no puppets around me and that's truly I think what makes it great it just is an, a, yeah. an, an element almost that no other film truly has um, and the second reason I think for me as well is that it's one of the very few, if possibly the only adaptation where the story is actually told to you. I recently read the book. Um, the students at, at my school actually are doing it as part of their English lessons at the moment. So copies yeah. were coming across my desk so often that I basically spent an afternoon reading it in between mm-hmm. uh, working. 
and Dickens's prose is so personal. He's so, you know, yeah. constantly talking to you. Oh, if you can give me another uh, example of the highest praise and do tell me and I'll write it here or I can honestly tell you there's no he's got such this, thing as this. He's got this really kind of yeah. warm, avuncular tone to his, yes. his, his writing. There's this brilliant bit where he says, and the ghost was as close to Scrooge as I am to you now. And then he kind of puts in brackets, and, and in spirit, I am at your elbow. You know? yes. <laughs> but just... um, he used to do, uh, he would go and do readings of, of Christmas yes. Carol with voices and everything. He was very much an active part. And so mm. to have Gonzo as Dickens narrating it to you and bringing it physically to you is something that no other adaptation really does in my experience. There are some, sometimes they'll narrate a bit at the beginning or they'll narrate the bit at the end about a tiny Tim who did not die, which is adverbatum from the book, um, yeah. but never across the whole the whole thing. And especially having Rizzo as that Greek chorus to kind of bring in the banter and sprinkle in sort of some of the more modern vernacular, it just is truly a, a genius move and one that I think no other adaptation has really learned from since yeah. they sort of rely on getting Dickens's prose and kind of worming it into more dialogue with the characters rather than just narrating it to you, I think, almost as it was intended. Um, yeah. But that, I think, is the, the typically top reason um, for why <laughs> it's just so good, not to mention the incredible songs, the incredible costumes. It's just, it's perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> Quite right, too. Julia, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate it and have a merry, merry Christmas. Thank you and a merry Christmas to you as well. So, Phil, that was Julia. What do you think? Yeah, it's always great to just hear from someone who's who just loves the source text that we're talking about, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, not just Muppets Christmas Carol, but also Charles Dickens' original story as well, it would seem. So great to hear from you again, Julia, and glad you're well. I mean, when somebody says, can you research Muppets Christmas Carol and you work in a school library, I've got to think that's got to be quite well placed, you know? Yeah, no, I've, all I've got is the internet and a can-do attitude, so... <laughs> you did a lot with that can-do attitude. Don't, uh, don't yeah. put it down. Yeah. Anyway, it. now it is time for... <gasps> Finding the Faith in the Film! We're back! (laughs) For the final time this year, ladies and gentlemen, you guys are subjected to hearing my witterings on on this stuff, you know? So, And you know what? We're not sorry. So, like, obviously, as we said, this story came to me in six weeks, which is insane. You know, we find out stuff like, he took the name Ebenezer Scrooge from a tombstone that he saw in Edinburgh, where it said, Ebenezer Scrooge, a meal man. Meal to me like corn so he's a corn merchant and dickens misread misread it as ebenezer scrooge a mean man so that must have been one of the things (laughs) that sort of planted in his brain you know and one of the things i enjoy about about christmas carol is the way he kind of draws from different sort of ideologies and stuff kind of brings together this really tight super cohesive narrative the part of the reason we teach it in uh, secondary school is it is super short and like it's it's called a novella because it's so short and to the point you know because obviously it's a it's a redemption story and mm-hmm. i was trying to think is there is there like a sort of biblical sort of root for it and there's one thing i found which i'm not saying it's necessarily a direct influence or it might it might just be an unconscious one, but I think it's worth having a listen to, and I think it's something we we possibly talked about before. So this is to, uh, Luke chapter sixteen, nineteen to thirty one. 
where it says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So purple's always a clue that somebody's rich because it yeah, took it's, more it's to quite, it's make It's quite a royal clothes, color, you know? isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he was, he, he was like, stacked that cheese. You know, he had plenty of money to go around, you know? At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So that's Ugh. a bit grim. <laughs> the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now here's the interesting bit. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family for I have five brothers let him warn them so they will not come to this place of torment then Abraham replied they have Moses and prophets let them listen to them no father Abraham said but if someone from the dead goes to them they will repent he said to him if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead so <coughs> there's that interesting thing the idea of uh, of of uh a dead person wanted to send another dead person back to to tell the living of what to what to expect, and Abraham is like, "Nah, mate." And you get the impression that Dickens at some point read this and went, "Yeah, but what if they could though?" You know, because <laughs> essentially yeah. you've got these you've got these these two sort of ghosts who are living entirely in torment. Uh, they've got the they've got the chains wrapped around them to the heavy objects and and all this stuff, you know. And it's and they come back to tell Scrooge, you know, you have to change your ways. And it just seems to me interesting that like it's almost like that fan fiction thing of Dickens has taken this <laughs> as a jumping off point and gone over in this direction. I love the idea that fan fiction is is like a its own sort of verb when it comes to talking about writing nowadays. It, it works quite well. Mate, fan f- the Bible has inspired so much fan fiction over the years. Dante's Inferno, Milton's Paradise Lost, a good few episodes of Supernatural and Good Omens. <laughs> if you think of them all as like Christian fan fiction, then I think that's uh, that's that's the best way to think of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm quite a big fan of thinking of it like it's fan fiction. Just like there's these like, these, and like, like n- nerdy fanboys outside. <laughs> around a desk just be like oh, it'd be really cool if god did this <laughs> the christ of saint john on the cross by salvador dali isn't like a a, a a an artistic masterpiece it's just fan art you know yeah 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 it's just someone just went that god guy's all right you know <laughs> just made yeah. a big statue dali's just post dali's posting stuff on his tumblr getting <laughs> lots of like on it and hoping he can get it sold off as a teacher on etsy you know saying saying so. his own opinions about jesus and then getting cancelled you know that kind of thing yeah yeah <laughs> so the next thing i would say like i say dickens seems to have taken a few different bits of of symbols and, and sort of squashed them all into the one place a bit like do you remember how c.s lewis kind of did that with chronicles of narnia you know it's like let's take mm. some some greek mythology here and some father christmas over here and just kind of stick it in and just hope for the best you know yeah yeah and i, I kind of feel like 
I'll take yeah, everything. A bit of that. You know? Mix it up. Uh, make a soup. It got me thinking about the ghost of uh, a Christmas present. Uh, because if you look at him, he looks a bit like a cross between Father Christmas and like a westernised version of what Jesus might look like. If you if you've got a moment, Google the original artwork for Christmas Carol uh, by I think it's John Leach. Right, I'm actually just looking yeah, up yeah. right now because I'd like the uh, the context. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. He's sort of like you know the, sa- you see the green robe and all the rest of it. The green, yeah. He's wearing like a green robe, but he's also got like a yeah. what could be considered to be a crown of thorns. Yeah. So it's got it's, it's he's he's younger. He's got the beard, the exposed chest. Yeah. Kind of gives you this a, a little bit of an idea of Christ being crucified because I was thinking about this. The 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 description in the book says on its head it wore no other covering than a holly wreath set here and there with shining icicles. Its dark brown curls were long and free, free as its genial face, its sparkling eye, its open hand, its cheery voice. So I'm thinking like holly leaves. Have you ever seen a holly leaf or felt yeah, one? Yeah, the, the, well, they're, they're just quite. I've seen real ones and fake ones, and they're they're quite yeah. um, spiny. They are spiky as hell. You would not choose to have that on your head. Like where it can kind of dig into you. And yeah. the fact that it's also got icicles. So again, more sharp stuff there. Worst hat ever. <laughs> Worst hat ever, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like there might be just a, a just a smidge of a Jesus influence there. There was also something interesting when it came out uh, that, that I think it was the, uh, the Reverend Jeffrey Rothwell made the observation uh he says that so that scrooge notices that the spirit notwithstanding his gigantic size is able to accommodate himself to any place with ease he stood beneath a low roof quite as gracefully and like a supernatural creature as it was possible he could have done in any lofty hall jeffrey rothwell says that this is the stooping of the ghost of christmas present is a reflection of the new testament statement that god stooped down to be born in human form in the incarnation Mm. of bethlehem because like god is infinite Another way of saying infinite is just flipping massive. God is an absolute unit, is what you're trying to say. (laughs) I'm just saying you want him on your team when you're playing rugby, you know? Um, (laughs) He's, he's you know, the fact that he can sort of squeeze himself down into the body of a baby kind of reminds you how, like, this massive sort of giant who's struggling to fit into the room can, like, squeeze himself down to be, like, the size of the the mice in Muppet's is, Christmas is, Carol, you know? Is it bad that it just reminds me of clowns in a clown car? It's <laughs> 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 the first thing that came to my head. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, same principle. Whatever works for you, you know? Okay, right, I'll take that. I'll, I'll use that. <laughs> so... Next question I've got for you is, Ghost of Christmas yet to come, who does he look like? He looks like Death, the Grim Reaper. Yeah, Yeah, he looks like the Grim Reaper or the Angel of Death. Now, it's interesting is that there's more in the other Abrahamic faiths about the Angel of Death. So there's more in Judaism and and Islam. Islam even gets the name Azrael, you know, whereas in Christianity... There's, there's, you know, there's, there's some references to, to angels' death in the in the Old Testament, but the he's, he gets references as one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse in in Revelations six verse eight, and the only thing we know about him is that he rides a pale horse. We don't get yeah. much other description of him. He's we the, the skeleton in dark robes with a scythe. That's all um, extra biblical. You know that doesn't you can't find those descriptions in the in the Bible. Yeah. He's, he rides a white horse. Yeah. 
He's got a big old stick mm-hmm. with a big knife on it, and uh, and he's yeah. in dark robes. So, so that's, that's kind it, so... of... <laughs> oh, and he's a skeleton. Yes, yeah, so that's uh, the 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 scythe is obviously linked in with farming. You know, you're, you're sort of cutting yeah. down sheaves of something in the way that sort of people's lives are being cut down and that sort of thing. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And obviously, he scares the hell out of everybody, and it has the same effect on Scrooge. So, because I'm going to be honest, not a fan. If I ended up like, say, in a cemetery <laughs> or something like that, or in a dream, for example, and they were just like, "Right, so this is me. This is me, mate. Death. Yeah, that's his real name, Death. Um, he's just got a couple. Don't, don't worry about the scythe. Don't worry about that. He's, he's not. That he's okay. Don't worry about it. It's fine. And I'm just there, yeah. like, all I can do is worry. I'm just getting this image of, you know, you come in, you start a new job, you know, they're taking you into the kitchens at Pizza Express. Oh, and, and here, you'll be working with this fella, isn't it? What, what's your name? What's it? What's death. Yeah, death comes in. In fact, actually, you're coming from the same area. You might be able to carpool, you know? You could just imagine he's just there, just going like, he's making pizza going, service, please. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, oh, no. Death, keep it, tone it down, dude. Death. With his with his scythe and his dark robes and across his apron and his hairnet, you know. <laughs> his Pizza Express striped T-shirt. Oh god. Oh, that's it. News just in. Death works at Pizza Express, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense if you think about it. So, the last thing I want to talk about is is the secularization of Christmas. Okay, because I think. I can probably make a fairly convincing argument that Charles Dickens's faith probably has more influence on modern perceptions of Christmas than, than anyone else. And there's a phrase that you hear a lot. You tend to hear it in like Christmas specials or sort of like really bad films where they talk about the true meaning of Christmas. You know, yeah. That that can tend to make Christians cringe a little bit, you know. Okay, so I want to try something out with you, okay? A little sort of uh, empathy exercise. So let me see if I can try and get you in the right mindset. So, Phil. Sure. What modern celebration happens on May the 4th? Star Wars Day. <laughs> it is Star Wars Day. It is Star Wars Day. We yeah. share Star Wars memes and jokes, you know, like uh, May the Fourth be with you and also with you lift up our lightsabers. We lift them up to Master Yoda and so on and so forth, you know. <laughs> uh, I didn't realise, I didn't know there was an extended version. Oh, sorry. I, I wrote that myself on Facebook oh, no, a few okay. years back. I'll need, I'll I'm, need to I'm try 100%, catch it then. You're going to have to send me that. So I'm 100% using it every year from forthwith. Oh, so. <laughs> So some people rewatch Star Wars films, perhaps build a Lego Death Star, and not only that, Lucasfilm often release trailers and footage for the upcoming projects, and it's the kind of thing you can get on board with, even if you're not a massive Star Wars fan. Right? Have I have I summarised that right? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. You can either revel in the memes, or you can celebrate the fact that it's a big part of your childhood, or you can mm-hmm. just hit each other with light up sticks. You know, it's what it's what you yeah. do really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, I want you to imagine some imaginary point in the distant future where just about everybody celebrates Star Wars Day. I mean, in fact, it's not really just a day anymore. It takes up uh, most of May and a fair bit of April as well. And it's a it's a time of good cheer where people wish each other well. They exchange cards of with pictures, little drawings of 3PO and R2 walking through Tatooine. There's good-natured discussions about whether E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark are, in fact, Star Wars movies because they both have links to, to Star Wars in some way, shape, or form. And amidst all this, what do you see on all the posters, all the adverts, all the memes that are reminding you that Star Wars Day is coming? Doctor Who. Doctor Who is 
everywhere in the run up to Star Wars Day. Okay, like it's on it's on the buses, it's on it's on walls. Coca Cola turn their cans blue, which is a real bid to catch up because Pepsi already have a head start on that. You know, oh, little oh. kids at shopping centres queue up to go in the TARDIS and sit on the Doctor's lap. And when I say the Doctor, I mean like one shop worker badly cosplaying as the oh, as the fourth dear. Doctor with his long scarf, and then oh. he asks them what they want for Star Wars Day. You know, kids go to bed on the night of May the 3rd, desperate for what they're going to get for Star Wars Day, eager to see what what the Doctor has given them. They leave out a sonic screwdriver and a plate of jammy dodgers, (laughs) and everybody's dad just takes a bite of the jammy dodgers, you know? And all this sort of stuff, and and like, I can see, oh. I can tell you're tensing up just at the thought of this idea of Star Wars Day. You know, I, I like when you first started describing Star Wars Day, it was just before the point where you said Doctor Who, and I was like, this sounds wonderful. I'd always, <laughs> I, I'd love to, to be National Star instead of Christmas. I want Star Wars Day. And then you mentioned Doctor Who, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to go into hiding. <laughs> you know, like it was just like, yeah, oh okay. God. So, like, this makes you feel just a teensy bit uneasy. And, like, sure, there's a few midnight screenings of A New Hope on May the 3rd, but the focus is so much on Doctor Who. And you finally hear someone else just voice your feelings, and you breathe this real sigh of relief when someone says that we as a society have forgotten the true meaning of Star Wars Day. And you're like, yes, thank you. I feel so seen. And then they go and say... Star Wars Day isn't about presents or toys. Star Wars Day is about togetherness and family and showing kindness to your fellow man. Now, the problem is, if you shout out, um, actually, I think you'll find that Star Wars Day is in fact about Star Wars, then all of a sudden... <laughs> You start ending up like sounding like the bad guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you sound no. out like you're the person who hates being kind to people. You know? Yeah, no, I can see. Yeah. Yeah, the tr- I feel like you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, really, and I, I don't know how better I, I could describe mm-hmm. it other than the way you've already described it. But like, I th- like people say, the true meaning of Christmas is like you know family and togetherness and showing kindness to your fellow man or woman or child or dog or whatever. But like, <laughs> we've got to remember that Christmas. I mean, for goodness sake, it has the word Christ in it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> like... it's, it's got you've got to you, you, you have to be very very ignorant if you if you deny if you deny the the origin of christmas being a non-secular mm-hmm. holiday you know like it because it is very yeah. much a non-secular holiday it's just been secularized up to its chin <laughs> so yeah and like there's there, there's good aspects to that you know if it wasn't secularized it probably wouldn't be that big a deal you might go to sort of church especially on christmas day and that would be more or less it you know so like the secularization yeah. does mean we we embrace it more and we, we do it better and we've talked about christianity being a world religion and the way that the way that we get to be world religion and, and like top of the absolute religions uh in ter- mm. at least in terms of numbers is that we get to say hey you want to keep that thing okay but instead of saturnalia we're going to call it christmas now you cool with that okay thanks bye so <laughs> i i know i can't complain too much about it being co-opted by other things but there is a point it does it does get to you a little bit you know and well, um yeah i mean as someone who was raised as as like catholic because i went to mm-hmm. catholic school and that 
you know, I yeah, I think I'm quite glad in some ways that I was I was raised in that way, mainly because it gave me the context of what Chris is actually about. Yeah. And to be fair, it I, th- I think having like a healthy dose of cynicism towards secularized Christmas time. Um, if nothing else, Giles, it's better for your wallet. <laughs> but uh, but also, yeah. sorry, you know, it, I think it's it teaches you a, a, a level of respect for where things came from, just in general. In fact, yeah. it's like it's like the biggest example you'd get when you're growing up of something that has been co-opted by, like, say, capitalist society and secular mm. culture. At the end of the day, and and I think that, that it's yeah. it's a it's a good learning point to be able to go. I know where this came from. I understand where it is now, and it's easy to see how it got to where it is now in in the interim. I think I just think it's important just as a point of growth, really, as a person. To uh, and do you to, know what to, I, to understand I, I like that. Like I, I I prefer an atheist approach where it says, like I get what Christmas is. However, to me, it means this. You know, the the best example yeah. I can think of is Tim Minchin's song "White Wine in the Sun." I um, love I, that I prefer song. Somebody. That is a great song. And I prefer somebody who says, well, look, it might mean that to you, it means this to me, rather than to try and pretend that the original meaning doesn't exist in the first place, you know? Yeah, no, well, that's um, it, it's, it's simply false to do that. You know what I mean? You're, yeah. You're just, you're, just yeah. Not, you're just denying fact at that point. And, well, if we'd all stopped denying fact, we'd be in a better society all round, wouldn't we? So, yeah. <laughs> so Dickens' faith was, was all about works. It was all about helping your fellow man. And I don't for one second doubt that this story has done tremendous good over the years for for a lot of people. But the issue with having a having a Christmas that doesn't have much of a Christ in it, it's a bit like me throwing you a birthday party and not actually inviting you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'd be a bit I'd be a bit naffed off. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit like well, well, I'm glad I'm glad everybody else had fun. Um, I do feel you kind of missed the point a little bit here, you know? I just now, sat and had a couple of beers alone, but thanks for that. You know, just, <laughs> cheers. Now, like I say, listeners, we obviously, we very much believe in the thing that you can absolutely love something with your whole heart. My entire Christmas starts when I get to watch a Muppets Christmas Carol with my friend John, you know? It's been our tradition for the last sort of 10 years or so. And I, I absolutely love this story. And Dickens, let's be clear, is a great bunch of lads. Possibly not as great to his wife as he could have been and had a little bit of a a, a soft spot for for cute actresses. But what's interesting is there was a fundraising speech on the 5th of October in 1843 in Manchester where Dickens urges workers and employers to join together to combat ignorance with educational reform. And he's like, do you know what? Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to get everybody hooked into this. I'm going to point out how, how bad this is. I'm going to write a pamphlet. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then he kind of goes, yeah, do you know what? I don't think anyone's actually going to read that. You know, they're certainly not going to read it for fun. So he realised in the days following the most effective way to reach the broadest segment of the population with his social concerns about poverty and injustice was to write a deeply felt Christmas narrative rather than a polemical pamphlet and essays. And if you think about it, the approach to poverty in Victorian era was if you were poor, it was your fault. You were lazy, you were slovenly. If you weren't going to help yourself, we weren't going to help you. You can go off to the poorhouse and and just we can just push you out of sight. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So by trying to say, hey, look, people are poor and check it out. It's not their fault. We should maybe <laughs> be nice to them and try and help them out rather than being complete dicks. <laughs> Sorry, rather than... 
No, no, dicks is the best word I can use. Um, <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> it, it, like, Dickens is, you can tell he's socially conservative. At the time that he's thinking, we rich people should help the poor, Karl Marx is going, yeah, or maybe we could overturn the means of production and seize it ourselves. Uh, you know, and obviously, one's looking at sort of social reform, and Dickens' brain doesn't think in terms of, like, systems. He thinks in terms of yeah. the, the personal and the individual, you know? So they're both kind of reaching for the same thing and just coming at it with different different ways, you know? Yeah. To be fair, that discourse continues today as well. Absolutely. With, with uh, varying degrees of success, let's say. I think it's important to sort of recognise that a piece such as A Christmas Carol can be considered timeless, mainly because it's as relevant then as it was now. And, and I think, yeah. I feel as though social issues like that are cyclical in a lot of ways. Yeah. And you can learn a lot. And if we can sort of hold on to those beliefs and teach them to other people, to our children, to people that we meet, there's more of a chance it'll take hold in the next generation, maybe the generation after that, and just constantly strive towards improving ourselves as people. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. It's you got you got to hold those things in tension of like pulling for change, but also not letting the perfect become the enemy of the good. You know. So there we go. So that is our finding the faith in the film section. Phil, we yeah. have some reviews. Oh, that's good. Yay! We've Woo. got one from LSH LSR. I I don't really know what that means. I tried googling it, and I don't think that ended well for anyone. Whoever they are, they said we are excellent with such an interesting and insightful as well as entertaining podcast. Just as good for an atheist as anyone else. And our next, you're welcome, guys. We haven't forgotten you, lads. You're okay. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, to be honest with you, I think more atheists listen to this than the Christians, but there we go. Yes, yeah, that, that, that probably is quite close to the truth. <laughs> that is a good example of a hidden audience embracing a text. Anyway, we have another <laughs> review from uh, our girl, Louisa Jane Smith from the RE podcast. She oh, says, thanks. and check this out, this is one of my favourite podcasts of all time. It oh. combines two of my greatest joys, film and philosophy. Giles and Phil work so well together to enlighten us about not only classic films and TV, but also philosophical concepts in a light-hearted but accurate way. One of the best quality podcasts out there. That made me smile so much. Oh, ain't you a gem. Thank you so much. Well, you should check out her show as well, because it's just so flipping good, you know? Even the ones that I'm not on are still ace awesome, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all great quality, obviously. Yeah. So there we go, ladies and gents. As discussed previously, we're not playing any more seasons at this time, but we will have an Easter special for you in a few months' time. And me personally, I've got a real hankering to do an episode on Midnight Mass. Uh, if you're up for that, Phil, at some point, I reckon that. Yeah, we be could good do fun, a special. Yeah. I reckon. I reckon if we did some specials when something really good comes up. That can yeah. be, that, I think that'd be quite nice. So watch this space. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But for the last time this year, Phil, have you had a good time? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I do enjoy Christmas a lot, Like even though I don't always outwardly show it. At the end of the day, I am, I'm enjoying myself because I get to talk about a time of the year when we can all just be together and just try and look after each other and be happy. So that's great. Definitely definitely thank you so much for listening listeners merry christmas have a happy new year and we will see you sometime in 2022 bye bye merry christmas (laughs) awesome god in film is hosted and created by giles goff and phil coleman mixing by phil editing by giles our logo was designed by julie walsh and our theme tune was composed by rick lee god in film is a dash production please rate and review 
unless it's a one star, in which case, tell Phil by sending three ghosts to him in the middle of the night to show him where we went wrong. Merry Christmas, everyone.